Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right. And we're talking NFL draft as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 240. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former NFL offensive lineman and media legend Ross Tucker. He's going to join me this week alongside Amy Campbell and Dave Spadaro on Eagles Draft Central. You do not want to miss that on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or all of the Eagles social media channels. Today, though, on the podcast, I'm going to talk with Ross about some of the intangibles that it takes to find NFL success as a young player. We talk all the time about, you know, oh, this guy uh, was able to make the most of his upside or he's got a high floor. We're going to talk about what it means to reach that upside and all the stuff that we don't necessarily see at the combine, at the pro day, and even on film watching these guys play college football. So really, really excited. Some great stories we're going to get from Ross Tucker today in Chalk Talk. Let's not waste any more time, though. Let's dive into it right now. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, really excited to welcome into the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. It's time for Chalk Talk with uh, Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, welcome back to the show, my man. Fran, thank you for having me. You know anything Eagles related, I'm in. You had me at, do you want to come on the show? Eagle's <laughs> Eye in the Sky. Uh, very, very excited. Obviously, you know, with the draft just about here, this is, this is you know, it's so nice, Fran, to actually have something on my calendar that's still there. Yeah, right. I've just been crossing off like softball daughters opening day off uh, dance recital off like like the whole everything on my calendar is crossed off except for the draft. So thank you, NFL. Thank you for the draft. I'm fired up. <laughs> Well, I'm excited for it later this week. Obviously, look, uh, Thursday night, uh, we're going to have you covered. And that's why I wanted to talk to you first about that, Ross. We'll just talk about uh, the coverage that we're going to bring to Eagles fans and NFL fans, really, too. You know, you can go on to PhiladelphiaEagles.com, all the Eagles social media pages for Eagles Draft Central. Uh, you can check out myself, Ross Tucker, Amy Campbell. Dave Spadaro is going to have exclusive interviews with uh, everybody behind the scenes. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, make sure you're tuned in. Ross, uh, this is your second year. Uh, we were hoping to have you in studio, obviously, due to circumstances. He won't be in studio with you uh, this week, but excited to, to join you once again for uh, for our coverage of the NFL draft. Yeah, so I'm pumped. First of all, I'm excited that all the Eagles fans are going to get to see my background with all my helmets and game balls. And no, I didn't play for the Eagles. Man, I wish I did. So I don't have an Eagles game ball behind me, but uh, it'll be pretty cool to see the backdrop. And look, I, I, I don't know if Eagles fans, and, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show, Fran, but I, I go on with a lot of different cities, a lot of different teams, whatever. Other teams don't have a Fran Duffy. They, they don't have one of the best draft analysts out there that happens to work for PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So I can't wait for you to just be dropping knowledge <laughs> on the pre-draft shows and after the Eagles make their selections. I've been telling everybody, all, and all my buddies are Eagles fans. I'm like, I'm telling you guys, every time the Eagles pick, 
we go live for 15 minutes and I'm going to react to it from my detached garage where a lot of them have been here before. So I'm like, you got it. They're like, that's awesome. I said, yep, you got to check it out. So I am really fired up. I'm just so glad there's a draft. And then even more than that, glad I got a chance to work with all of you guys. And I love it. I mean, you know me, friend. I, I, I love the NFL, adore college football, obsessed with high school football. To me, like the draft is where it all comes together. You know, I, I called DeAndre Swift's game when he was in ninth grade at St. Joe's Prep, and now he's yeah. going to get drafted maybe in the first round. So this is going to be awesome. Hopefully everybody has us up on, uh, on their laptop or their iPad or their second screen or whatever while they're watching the draft coverage Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. So many talented players. I know a lot of Eagles fans are focused in on uh, the wide receiver position, but you know the the corners, the safeties, the linebackers, the the linemen on both sides, the running backs. I mean, there's there's so many talented players uh, in this class. Excited for the possibilities here for the Eagles later this week. But um, real, real quick, is there is there anybody in particular, Ross, that that you're especially excited about? DeAndre Swift uh, and the local ties aside. Well, I just wanted to make one point. Yeah. Because I think you just said it, Fran, and I, and I wanted to hit something home there about the wide receiver position. Clearly, it's been the focal point of sports talk radio, you know, the beat writers, fans, and I get that. I just want to make it really clear that when I hear a guy like Eric DaCosta, the GM for the Baltimore Ravens, say that you can get a – starting caliber wide receiver in the fifth round this year. Or when you talk with teams, Fran, and they've got 30 to 40 guys that have top three round grades, or even Mel Kuyper's got 33 guys, wide receivers with a top three round grade. That's obviously not going to happen where a third of the draft is receivers in the first three rounds. So the reason why I mentioned that is I hope and if you're listening to this, you probably are one of the knowledgeable, educated fans that realizes the Eagles don't have to take a wide receiver with pick 21. They've got a second rounder, a third rounder. They've got a couple of fourth rounders, three fourth rounders, in fact. So, you know, they could maybe take another position in the first round, maybe even second round and still draft two receivers that people think are starting caliber receivers. You know, I, I, I joke about it, Fran, but there's a formula for a lot of people out there when it comes to their team's draft pick, okay? It is – it's like a flow chart. Did they take a dude at the position I wanted them to take, <laughs> yes or no? And then next – have I heard of that dude and or did I see any mock drafts where he was supposed to go higher? Yes. If you hit those two, right, the flow chart, yes, the position the fans wanted, yes, he was ranked higher on some mock drafts, then it's, oh, my gosh, what a great pick. It's the greatest pick ever. If it's not at the position that they want or it's a guy that wasn't supposed to go higher on the mock drafts they, they read, then they think it's a bad pick. That, I mean, there are zillions of examples 
where that is not the case. And I know yep. nobody wants to hear you say, let's let it play out. Let's see how the guy does. But that really is the truth. And I just don't want Eagles fans to be all obsessed with a wide receiver at 21 because the one thing I feel like I know about Howie Roseman over the years is it's about value. Yep. You know, I, I personally think, Fran, there's not going to be as many first-round wide receivers as people think because I think teams are going to believe, you know what, this is the last corner we really like or the last D lineman or the last O lineman where there's still 15 receivers that we like. We'll get one of those guys later. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Eagles somehow ended up falling in that category. Well, the supply-demand aspect of this absolutely comes into play, and I think it's one of those things, too, that you have to let it play out. You have to let Thursday night come because, you know, if, let's say, there's a run on receivers where four receivers go between picks 12 and 18, maybe that is a little bit different as opposed to if one or two go in picks 12 to 18. And now you say, oh, everybody's waiting. Okay, we can we can afford to wait a little bit now. There's not going to be that run. It's going to be very interesting to just kind of watch the whole situation play out, not just at receiver, but offensive tackle, uh, corner, for sure. There are a bunch of guys at, at some key positions that uh, you know have that talent. Quarterback, obviously, uh, at the top of the draft being another one. But, uh, Ross, th- this is my the one thing I wanted to bring you on and talk about here for the show is that, you know, obviously you as a former NFL player, longtime NFL player, you have seen a lot of guys come into the league and have immediate success. You've had you've seen guys that have come in and maybe didn't have success right away, but then grew into it and became great players. And then guys that maybe were you know, high draft picks, big money guys that didn't pan out right away. And you knew immediately that this was not going to click. So I want to ask you, what does it take? What do, what do rookies face when they come into the NFL? What is what are all the trials and tribulations that goes those guys have to go through that maybe us on the outside and the media and with fans, we don't get to see that on the inside. It's a great question, Fran. And the thing I tell people is that it's the same reason why so many draft choices don't work out. In my mind, Fran, it's rarely the physical why draft choices don't work out. Because you know the physical. You watch them play college football. Then you know what they do at the combine. You know the physical. What separates people at the next level is really their brain and their heart. And obviously, at least to this point, There's no way for scouts to really see what's in that heart of these guys and what's in their brain. So what does that mean, right? That means football intelligence. How well do you see the game? How easily do you see the game? You know, I'll give you an example, Fran. You might remember this guy. Do you remember the name Calvin Armstrong? The offensive tackle. Offensive tackle from Washington State, yeah. who the Eagles drafted in like the sixth round. Sixth or I seventh think. round, yeah, right. Seventh yep. round, okay. He was – my last year in the NFL was 2007, and he was with the Washington Redskins. And when I tell you he was really good as a one-on-one pass protector, he was strong, he was physical, he had good length, he was like 6'7" good hands. And when I tell you that he wanted it, 
I mean, this kid worked so hard. He would spend, his wife told my wife, and I, he would spend all night reading the playbook and studying the playbook. Fran, almost every practice, he would have at least one mental error. Yeah. No matter how well he knew the playbook, when he got out there and they and and his linebacker came or his DN dropped, it just the football intelligence, you'll hear guys call it FBI. It just wasn't there. He just did, and it had nothing to do with book intelligence. And in his case, it had nothing to do with the work ethic. The game and seeing the game yep. just didn't come naturally for him. And that's almost impossible to know when you're watching a college player on tape at certain positions, like if it's corner and they just have him cover the receiver at man-to-man -man all the time, or if it's offensive tackle and he's just blocking the D end nine times out of ten. You don't know that until you really get him. And I, I felt bad for him. Like I, I felt sad because that stuff came so easily to me. Mm. And that was a strength of mine and one of the main reasons why I was able to stick around and play center and do those things. He just couldn't get it, right? And those are things that you notice right away at the first couple of mini camps. And there will be guys that it just takes them a little while, but then they figure it out. And by the way, that was Jason Peters. Sure. Even in, even in his second training camp, Fran, in 2005, Jason had enough mental errors that they couldn't start him in the opener, even though he clearly physically could do it. And then about midway through the year, his second year, 2005, they put him in there. And he still might have had one or two every once in a while, but he got it. It, it. it clicked, and he never had those issues again. So you've got the guys that get it right away. You've got – well, first of all, you've got the guys that are, like, exceptional at it. Right. Yep. Then you've got the guys that get it right away. Then you've got the guys that get it over time. And then you've got the guys that never get it. Right? So – that is, at every position in the NFL, a huge determiner of success is your football intelligence, your FBI, your football IQ, and how naturally things come to you and you see things. And it's funny, Frank, because I've even heard NBA guys say the same thing about, like, when they play, like, in an all-star game. Right. You know, like – with Larry Bird and Isaiah Thomas back in the day, they just said it was so refreshing to see how many other guys saw the game the way they did. You know, it's almost like Wayne Gretzky always said, he didn't go to where the puck was. He went to where the puck was going to be, right? Because right. he could just kind of see what was happening. Same with Dennis Rodman as a rebounder. You know, that's a big part of why guys go to Pro Bowls in the NFL. So that's a big part of it, Fran. The other big part of it is what I would say is mental toughness, mental sure, yeah. and physical toughness. Yep. And, you know, you can talk to the college coaches about all these things and that helps and you can watch them on tape, but 
the NFL season is a grind. It is a grind. So number one, it is hard to have success unless you don't love the physical part of the game. I don't mean like it. I don't mean accept it. I mean love it. Like I craved it. I still miss hitting people. It, you know, this might sound bad, but like when I daydream sometimes, like when I'm driving, like on a long drive <laughs> and I daydream, like I sometimes think about someone like, like I'm at a bar or a restaurant and someone like pushes my wife, which gives me like the legal right to just take them and just smash them into a wall. Probably shouldn't admit that publicly, <laughs> but like I think about that. Like well, I, now, I, now I'm glad I'm not going to be in the same room as you on Thursday. <laughs> oh, dude, you have no idea. I punch people all the time in the shoulder. Like I just, I loved it. You know, people say, what do you miss about football? Camaraderie. Yeah, kind of. The money, absolutely. I, I miss hitting people. I, I miss the violence. I love that. And I think it's okay to admit that. I think it's hard to have high-level success unless you really – enjoy that portion of the game at that level because it's so much and especially after you get drafted or after you get money you know it, it makes it even different you got to really love that portion of it and you have to love the process and have a routine yeah. right like I would get there at 6 a.m I would get my workout in I would stretch I would watch extra film. Then the meetings would start. At the end of the day, at the end of practice, I would stay out there and do extra sets at every position. Left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, because that was my thing. I could play all five. And especially I was the next guy in a lot at yeah. all three inside. And I was the next, next guy in. at the, So I always wanted to make sure that my body – was familiar with those movements in every position so that if I got thrown into the game, it wasn't like, oh, man, I haven't taken a left guard set in weeks. You're like, you can't do that. Like They, they don't feel bad for you. Like you, you have to really put in the, uh, you know, what do they call it, the body mechanism, the body movement to do it. Sure. And, and that is something that a lot of guys never get, Fran. They never really figure out their routine. They never really figure out that just doing what the coaches ask of you is not really enough. They never really are regimented enough to be able to go beyond, as a player, what the coaches are giving them, to take that and take it to another level. So I think it's the football intelligence. I think it's the physical toughness of loving contact. And I think it's the mental toughness of day in, day out. I wrote, Fran, at the top of my notes, okay, every single day for seven years in the NFL, I would write EFP, EFD, okay? Okay. Every play, every day. I'll let you use the imagination on what the Fs were in the middle, okay? But every play, every day. Because every day, Fran, before that first meeting was started at 8 a.m., I, I wanted to look at it again 
And remember, everybody from Why Missing Pennsylvania, everybody from Prince University that was kind of living vicariously through me, I wanted to remember that this was my dream I was living and that it was vitally important to me to maximize the gifts I had been given from God. And I wanted to be locked in, in those meetings, my routine, after practice every single day of my life in the NFL, I went in the cold tub to try to heal everything, to try to be more recovered for the next day. The extra film, I never left the facility until I watched every practice rep that I took that day that was on camera so that I knew in my head, okay, what I had to do better the next day. And I just think that's how I was able to maximize what ended up being a journeyman average career, right? But I, I max out. I, it, it, it's a shame, Fran, how many guys never really figure that out to go above and beyond to maximize their ability. And some guys, you know, you kind of formulate that growing up, you know, your background, your experiences, but you know, other guys, and I've talked with a lot of, you know, honestly, a few weeks ago we had Ike Reese on uh, and we just kind of talked about his kind of football journey. And he talked about some of the players that along the way, like Mike Codwell that taught him how to be a pro, uh, you know, and those guys that taught him about routine and what you had to do in practice every day and how to approach games and how to watch film and how to, you know, with all those things. So that's the, I guess that's the tough part about it because you, know, you look up and down every single draft class, some of these guys that have all of these mental traits that you're talking about, all of these intangibles that we can't quite put a finger on and say like how to measure it, but you know, some of these guys run 4'4 and are 240 pounds and look the part and you're like, yep, okay, that guy's set. And then other guys uh, you know, maybe have all the physical traits but don't have the mental traits. And then some guys have all the mental traits but – you know, they run four nine and, you know, can't get out of it, can't get in and out of a break. Like it's to me, like that's what makes the whole process as tough as it is, because then you have some of these guys that, Hey, look, you know, he doesn't have it yet. He doesn't get it yet. But if we pair him with this vet or we pair him with this position coach or, you know, with this player development guy, we feel like, Hey, we can get the best out of, we can get him to reach that ceiling. And, and to me, like, and since there are plenty of examples of those guys that, did eventually get it and did eventually turn it around. Um, yeah, I feel like that's what makes this whole thing fun. It makes it so fun to follow and impossible to project. Yeah, and those three things I gave you, right, there's no way of really knowing for sure. Can't. I mean, you try to talk to the college coaches as much as you can, but a lot of times they want their players to be drafted higher. It's in their best interest. They don't want to badmouth guys. And by the way, those three things I gave you, Fran, they can change a little bit based on where you are in your life. Like you make a lot of money. There are guys or you get drafted and you think it's a lot of money. There are guys that might be capable of having that mental toughness and physical toughness. But after they got the money, it kind of changed for them. A little bit. There are a lot of guys that it seems like getting drafted was their goal. And they almost think after they get drafted that they made it. That's the start. That's not the end, you know, and they're, and, and you got to figure out the guys that feel that way. So, I mean, listen, they pay these scouts a lot of money and there's lots of them to try to figure out what the football intelligence, physical toughness and mental toughness is of these players as much as they can, because they can see them on tape, what kind of players they are. 
and they can see at the combine and pro days or whatever what their measurables are. But the reason why guys fail or bust and the reason why undrafted guys like me or whatever make it really comes down to those other three things that we talked about. And it's not just guys like me. I'll tell you two stories, Fran, okay? Okay. Do we have time for two quick wait, stories? Wait, wait, wait. We got time. Let's hear it. Okay, all right. So I'll tell you a story about the best player I ever played against and the best player I ever played with, okay? So these aren't even me, right? Best player I ever played against uh, was Ray Lewis. And 2004 for the Buffalo Bills, I'm starting at center down in Baltimore against the, the Ravens. And I could just tell by our game plan that week that I was going to have to block Ray Lewis on a lot of the plays, right? <laughs> right. And I remember like one of the practice squad guys or whatever was like, Tuck, you got to block Ray like every play. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to kill him. Like I'm going to, I'm going to make a name for myself. Every play, every day. Yeah. Fran, unfortunately, that is not what happened, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is not what happened that day. So first of all, here's the two things I tell people, right? Number one, more than any player I ever played against, I'd say 50% of the time he called out what play was coming or the two options that might be coming on that play based on our formation and our motion. I distinctly remember we ran like a G scheme to the right, which is a, it's basically, you know, for, for lay people, it's, it's like a sweep to the right, right? Like you're trying to get outside to the right. And I was supposed to block him and I come over and he makes the tackle and uh, the offensive line coach, Jim McNally says, Tuck, Ray, that's your guy. And back then was when they had the Polaroid pictures right before the snap, right after the snap. They didn't have right. the Microsoft Surface right. or whatever they have now, right? So I'm like, let me see the Polaroids. So he gives it to me. When I snapped the ball, Fran, Ray Lewis was a yard outside of the tight end, <laughs> a yard off the ball. I didn't even try to get him. I, I mean, I, I just looked back and tried to find somebody else. Yep. And I, I, I gave it to McNally and I said, Coach, you guys got to come up with a different formation or a different motion or something. And, I, and he looked at it, he's like, oh, crap. yeah, you're right. <laughs> and that happened a lot, Fran, a lot, where he would be, he'd be like, power right, lead weak left, power right, lead weak left. So if it's power right, okay, that means, in his case, that means the, the right guard's pulling to the left. Or if it's lead weak, it's lead, uh, you know, lead to his left, right? So all he had to do was watch the right guard. Right guard does That's anything first other yeah. than – Yeah, the right guard's the guy pulling, right? So if he knows out of that formation, we're running lead weak or power, and he knows you run power to the strong side, so he watches the backside guard. He knew – I mean, he could probably tell from the guy's stance, to be honest with you, but he knew a split second after the ball was snapped exactly what play it was, and he hit it, bam, okay? Fran, even when I did go up to block him, because there were times where it was like a play up the middle and he didn't really hit it, every time with the hard part of his hand, the butt of his hand, he would take it and lock me out at my shoulder points 
shed me, and make the tackle. Usually when an offensive lineman takes on a linebacker, a linebacker takes on an offensive lineman, they might jack you up a little bit, but you can usually kind of swallow them up, and they're not going to make the tackle, right? I mean, sure, you're a 315-pound right. guy. He was jacking me up, locking me out, and making the tackle to the point where Willis McGahee, our running back, we come back to the huddle, and Willis says, looks at me and goes, Tuck, maybe just try to cut him or something. <laughs> <laughs> so the next couple of times we ran like this lead draw and I went high and I, I, I cut him low. He still didn't go down to the ground, but at least affected his legs enough. So I tell this story to any football players I ever talk to, because when they think, and fans, when they think Ray Lewis, they think big, fast, ferocious, the dance before yeah, the game, right. you know, all sure, that stuff. Of course. But the, the, the two biggest reasons why he is a Hall of Fame player, first ballot, arguably one of the 10 best players in, in the history of the league, is because of the preparation he put in that week to know our formations and motions and tendencies that well. And the amount of time he put in year-round to make sure he had the best butt and shed technique of any linebacker I ever played against. Best technique, best prepared, and Fran, neither one of those have anything to do with physical ability. Nothing. It has nothing to do with the combine or any of that stuff. That's just the time he put in both that week and the offseason. And it's just an understanding of, you know, understand, like knowing what his strengths were, what, what can I do to make them stronger to allow me to become a better player? You know, you talk about, you know, obviously his size and his strength, his power. But if, I, if my technique is A-plus every single time, I'm not going to be blockable. Uh, you're not going to beat me on contact. And so uh, by taking that and understanding, hey, this is where I'm strong, this is where I'm weak, I have to exasperate, you know, try to hide the weakness, make the strength more up into the forefront, and you get that with the off-field intangibles, and you're talking about a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, and then the other story is Tom Brady. You know, I was in, I was in New England in 2005 and 2006 till I got traded to Cleveland. And the first thing you do at the start of every practice is quarterback center exchange. Any of the Eagles fans listening that you've ever been to training camp, you see the centers come out and the quarterbacks, and they work on the snap. Um, and so they work on that. It's kind of a mundane, boring thing. I got to New England, and the only time I was centered with Brady was OTAs or training camp. And when he was, when I was center, they had him do everything for him. Mean, he redeclared the mic, redeclared protections, everything, right? But before he even called the play, he would look at me and he'd say, All right, Ross, you and me, great snap first, great snap first. And at the time, I'm 26, 27. I'm a grown man. I've started 25 games in the league. You know, I've played in 45. But the way he said to me, I was like, okay, Tom, okay. But then here's what's crazy. Like, when you snap a ball under center, you're propelling the ball to your rear and you're hitting the top hand of the quarterback. So it's it makes a noise, right? Like, like a clap, like, like that. Well, like anything else in life, you know, when you're clapping, you can clap like that. Or if you really smack it, you get a really good one. Or if you get like a great one, it's like it really just makes that 
that noise. Listeners probably, by the way, loving this. <laughs> by the way, I don't, I don't clap on the Ross Tucker football podcast if that's annoying you, by the way. You, you check just, that one just, out, You too. just punch people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he wanted that perfect snap sound every time. So the guy is a total psychopath. And I mean that as the greatest compliment you can give someone. But in his mind, that perfect snap, that gave him just a split second more time to get back from center, which gave him not even a tenth of a second, but a little bit more time to look at the defense, a little bit more time to know where to go with the ball and to throw the ball to his receiver. And so what I learned from him was that you, there is nothing that's mundane. You know, in 18 years of football, I never played with a guy that cared about the center snap as much as Tom Brady. He also happens to be like the best player of all time, best quarterback of all time. And that's why. Like, even in high school and college, Fran, certainly in the NFL, there were times where I remember thinking during a drill, like, I got it. I got this drill. You know, a kick slide drill. We do this every sure, day. Right, yep. Yeah, this is a waste. I, 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 the great players never think any rep or any drill is a waste. They look at it as another small opportunity to get a tiny bit better and to do it a little bit better. Let's do that snap a little bit better, Ross. Let's do this step a little bit better. So I tell that to high school kids, college kids, guys in the NFL, like, I don't want to ever hear you say to your coach, I got it. I don't ever want you to think you know what you're – like, the great players, Peyton Manning, great, like, they don't – they want every rep. They are rep hogs yeah. because they, they know that those repetitions are how they get better. So getting back to our draft conversation, the guys that have the mentality of Brady and Ray Lewis and or the guys that figure out that's how you have success in the NFL, like the Zach Ertzes and the Jason Kelseys, like the faster you figure that out, the better chance you have to maximize your physical potential, whatever that may be. Yeah, and to me, it's uh, the big part of the draft that us on the outside, you know, we we don't get – and those on the inside, they're still trying to figure it out. There is no perfect formula. Otherwise, every every team would be using it uh, right now. We would not have busts in the NFL draft. But, Ross, dude, that was exactly what we were looking for. Thanks so much once again for joining us here uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. We will see you this week uh, on Eagles Draft Central. I cannot wait. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every time the Eagles make a pick and for 30 minutes before the draft starts. Everybody, hopefully make sure you tune in. Please check me out on social at Ross Tucker NFL. All the podcasts I have for you at RossTucker.com, including the Ross Tucker football podcast. But most importantly, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, live from my detached garage with Fran <laughs> Duffy right here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Great stuff from Ross, and you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Ross Tucker NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And right away, we've got daily Journey to the Draft podcast this week. So today, on Monday, our mock draft extravaganza episode of the Journey to the Draft podcast 
just dropped. So make sure you go check that out. We go through all 32 selections in the first round, and we talked with Chris McPherson, Ben Fennel, and I talked with experts from around the league, national experts, but also local beat writers that cover these teams picking in round one. So we tried to have the most accurate round one mock draft that you could find. Check that out over on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We've got Greg Cosell on Tuesday and Wednesday breaking down some of the top prospects of both sides of the ball. So make sure you're tuned in over on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. You know I appreciate everybody that promotes all of our podcasts on any form of social media. That is the best way to support these shows, but the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and even leave us a comment. A couple I wanted to hit on here today in the show. Dave71162 left a five-star review saying, thank you for keeping me informed and updated on the team for the upcoming season. You keep things exciting during the offseason while I am longing for Eagles game days. Well, Dave, thanks so much for the rating. Thanks so much for the comment. And then lastly, JJK302 left a five-star review saying, Fran, I've been watching you for years on the Eagles website and always look forward to your tape breakdowns. What do you think about Zach Moss, the running back uh, out of Utah? If he's in the fourth round, what do you think of him? And I, I think when you look at Zach Moss, this is a guy we've been talking about since last summer over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, really physical, determined, uh, powerful runner between the tackles. But he's, he's got a little bit of wiggle to him as well. I really love his contact balance. To me, that's the trait that really he can hang his hat on moving on to the next level. He's really able to withstand contact, make that first man miss. I like his vision between the tackles. I really feel that he's got a game that projects well to the NFL. The only thing that makes it a little bit murky is he's had the, uh, kind of a nagging knee injury over the last couple of years. It cost him uh, the back half of the 2018 season, and then he had some, some lingering effects this past year as a senior as well but this is a guy that I really like watching him on film again I feel like he's got you know kind of that Jordan Howard profile in the NFL and that he can be you know an early downs kind of like a tone setter for you early in a game and then you know you're nursing a lead late you need somebody to close it out I feel like Zach Moss has that kind of a skill set so big big fan obviously like I said the the injury issue is going to murk things up just a little bit for in terms of the projection but thanks so much to Dave JJK for that those questions thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.